The following is a Hoop Bowl presentation. What's up, everyone? It is the Hoop Bowl Clippers podcast. Brandon Marcus here. Hope you're having a fantastic day or night whenever you are listening to this podcast. Excited to talk some more Clippers basketball with you today. Today's guest is going to be Jovan Buha of The Athletic, a tremendous writer that has really burst onto the scene. A young man that joined The Athletic last year, covered the Clippers obviously for a very long time, and now is getting a chance to do it for a very profitable website. Uh, not sure if you subscribe to The Athletic. I do personally. I think it is worth it. Their stuff is fantastic. Some great articles frankly, for every single sport, whether you like baseball, basketball, football, even Premier League soccer, they do a really nice job. So we'll talk to Jovan about the Clippers in just a second. But before we begin, a big congratulation goes out to Brian Seaman, the new voice of the Los Angeles Clippers on the TV side, replacing Ralph Lawler. It has been rumored for a while, but finally announced Brian is a friend of mine, someone that has been a mentor to me, and he's already been on this podcast once. He'll be on it again in a couple of weeks. A tremendous voice, a tremendous person, and he will do a tremendous job filling in for Ralph Lawler. Also, a big congratulations to Noah Eagle, the son of Ian Eagle of CBS Sports and, of course, the Brooklyn Nets as well. Ian, a graduate of Syracuse, 22 years old, and he lands the radio job for the Los Angeles Clippers on AM570. We'll talk to him hopefully next week, if not next week that I'm aiming for the week after. So he has already said he's going to come on the podcast. Very much looking forward to talk to him as well. Also, Chauncey Billups, the color commentator for the Los Angeles Clippers on the TV side, the analyst that has really been tremendous for ESPN. Looking forward to seeing what he's going to add. Of course, Fratello and Maggetti as well will step in when Billups has his stuff with ESPN. Um, I think he's going to be doing two-thirds of the games is what they said. Uh, so, So Chauncey should do a really nice job with Brian Seaman. So big congratulations goes out to all of them. Don't forget this podcast is brought to you by Hawaiian Isles Kona Coffee. Tremendous coffee. If you need that kick, go on Amazon, order their coffee. It's tremendous. This is a hoop ball podcast presentation brought to you by Hawaiian Isles. You can follow me on Twitter at BD Marcus. You can follow the Twitter handle for the Clippers hoop ball podcast at hoop ball clips. And of course at hoop ball fantasy as well. So without further ado, let's get into our conversation with Jovan. All right, this guy has been all over the place. If you read anything Clippers related, you have seen his name for many, many years. And now he is doing it for a site that I mentioned in the intro is really tremendous. I am a subscriber of The Athletic. They do a very good job. They are now hiring some of the best of the best. And they got Jovan and just pried him away from Clipper Blog, ESPN, Fox Sports. He's been everywhere, and now he's working with The Athletic, and he is joining us on the Hoopball Clippers podcast. Jovan, what's up, man? What's up, man? How are you doing? I'm doing well. A fellow uh, USC alum, so uh, start off with with Fight On, um, even (laughs) though the football team is a little bit in shambles right now, but it's okay. We're going to talk top basketball. It feels that way every year. Yeah, Yeah, I, I feel like I haven't. Uh, experienced a really good SC season yet. Yeah, that's true. By the way, big kudos to you on having a tremendous mic. The audio quality should be <laughs> tip-top for this podcast. Clearly, you are ready for all of these interviews that are coming your way. You've got a great mic. I have what I think is a good mic. So this is going to be a very good-sounding podcast. 
I'm ready to go. All right, cool. Uh, let's talk about some of your articles. Most recently, today, actually, you dropped one that was a mailbag. Um, I want to talk to you a little bit about doing a mailbag, first of all, and second of all, what your favorite question was. So let's start with the first part. When you do a mailbag, what do you have in mind in the way you want it to be structured? Are you just throwing questions out there to, to the Twitter people being like, all right, just ask me stuff? Um, or is this something where you kind of are making up the questions yourselves? No, uh, th this is definitely something I, I crowdsource. I probably could do a better job of crowdsourcing on like Instagram stories, uh, offering up my email, because uh, I, I know some people just don't really engage with Twitter or like to use Twitter that much. Uh, so I, maybe I'm, I'm kind of narrowing down uh, my potential audience that way. But yeah, I usually just, uh, you know, we'll you know, send out a tweet uh, a week or a few days before the mailbag it's supposed to run and, and just say, Hey, like, you know, if you have any questions for me, uh, right now I, I kind of offered up a training camp specific one, even though most of the questions ended up not really being training camp, uh, specific, but you know, around free agency did one, um, after they got Kawhi and PG it was kind of like an off season recap one. So for me, I do try to theme it out if it's kind of appropriate, if not just I, I try to do one of these at this point now, like once a month or, or once every five, six weeks. Uh, but I usually just will, will drop like, hey, you know, respond to this thread if, if you have a question. And then I, I go through the questions and I try to just pick, you know, th there tends to be a lot of repeats where you'll you'll have uh, like, you, you know, I got a bunch of Paul George ones, like when's he going to be back? What's What's his progress? What's his health like? Uh, so I, I try to take maybe like the best of those or, or maybe the best two, put them together and, and then I just put them in, uh, you know, we operate out of WordPress. So I just put them all in WordPress, uh, and, and just kind of start answering them. And, um, you know, what, one thing I, I'm really cognizant of too, is kind of the structuring of it in terms of, I, I try to put some of the best stuff at the top because I know people's attention spans are, are so short that they're going to want the juicier stuff at the top. Uh, and, and then I kind of get into just what I find interesting and then kind of close it out with, with some interesting stuff. So, um, yeah, for, for this one, it was, I ended up getting about probably 25 to 30 questions. And I think I ended up going with 15 of them. Some of them are just questions I've already answered. Uh, so I'll probably reply to some of those people linking them to, uh, articles that kind of answer what they're asking me. Uh, but otherwise all these other ones were, either stuff I've talked about a little bit and wanted to expound upon or stuff I haven't really addressed yet or it's really topical. So I, I do try to answer as many questions as possible uh, and answer them as thoroughly as possible. Uh, but some of them, if, if I don't know the answer, I'm, I'm going to be honest and just say I don't know. Like I, I don't know when Paul George is going to be back. I have an idea, but I, I don't have an exact date. Um, I don't have like his exact you know day-by-day -day progress. Uh, you know, I, I do have, a, I think, a, an educated idea, but – uh, you know, so for that question, I'm going to be honest and be like, look, I, I don't really know. So, uh, it, you know, it, it's, it, it's fun. Like it, it's really fun. I like engaging with, um, our, our readers, our subscribers, uh, people on Twitter. Like it, it is fun to, to do that. Yeah. And you, you're not one that's going to know what the starting lineup's going to be. I mean, you can try and guess, I mean, there's obviously an educated guess you can put forth and try and figure out who you think is going to be there. I mean, in one of your articles, you wrote about the five lineups that the Clippers should test out. And one of my favorite lineups that you wrote about was the small ball lineup that had Kawhi Leonard at center. I mean, it's something that would be tremendous to see, 
But realistically, you really don't know who's going to start at shooting guard because you don't know when Paul George is going to come back. You don't know who's actually going to be on the floor. Um, obviously, health will play a major factor because I know Kawhi mentioned during his press conference he wants to play every game. That's not going to happen. I mean, they are going to do some low maintenance on him. They're going to make sure he's healthy for the playoffs. So there's only so much you know. So with that being said, what do you think was the best question you were asked during that mailbag? My, my favorite question was uh, someone asked, and actually I should shout them out. CP3O is, is his handle, and it's uh, Ron. Uh, I, I don't want to butcher it. Solo, uh, Ron Solo. I, I guess you're a big Star Wars fan and, and Clippers fan. <laughs> um, but Ron, Ron's been following me for a while and, and always engaging and, and commenting and stuff. So uh, shout out to him. But he asked me, uh, in a team defensive scheme between Kawhi and PG, who would you put on the ball to guard the opponent's best player and who plays safety with, with help defense? Uh, so that, I thought that was a great question because, um, you know, I think we've, you know, I wrote about it. I, I talked to Tom Thibodeau about how good this Clippers defense could be. Uh, you know, he compared it to his 08 Celtics team that, you know, was, was one of the best modern defenses of all time and, and kind of revolutionized the way people uh, defended pick and rolls and just kind of the help side defense and, and all this stuff uh, for a few years there. Uh, so, you know, I, th- I think we can look at Kawhi and PG and, and comfortably say they're probably the best defensive pairing we've seen on the wings since Scotty and MJ. And, and that's not hyperbole. Like, you know, they, they really are of that caliber of, of defense. Uh, but to me, uh, it was just an interesting exercise of kind of looking into so, some data on both guys, watching some film on both guys, and, and kind of trying to determine who's the better help defender, who's the better on-ball defender. And what I kind of concluded was there really is no wrong answer. Like, both of these guys are elite on- and off-ball defenders. Um, you know, you're, you're lucky if you have them on your team defending an opponent's best score. So I really think that they're like you could pr- pretty much make a case either way for either side of the argument. That being said, uh, w- what I concluded is you want Paul George off the ball. Uh, this guy led the league in steals. Uh, he was number two last season. He was number uh, and then going back to this season, number one in deflections, number one in loose ball recover, uh, loose balls recovered, uh, finished third in defensive player of the year voting. Uh, and was in first, if you go back and look at kind of in that December, January range, go back and look at some of those pieces on, on sort of mid-season awards, everyone was giving Paul George Defensive Player of the Year. Uh, and he finished third in defensive real plus minus among wings, only trailing Giannis and Robert Covington. Giannis, some people consider him more of a big than a wing anyway, so he could technically be second. So Paul is just a monster, and he, he's a really good defender overall. But where he's really able to be a defensive game changer is, you know, playing passing lanes, using his length, using his timing, making reads uh, where, where, you know, where a pass is going or where someone's looking with their eyes. And he's just so good at that stuff. And you just from watching him, you can see, you know, he, he has an incredible basketball IQ, but he's just really good at poking at drives and, and you know, tipping passes, stealing passes, uh, blocking shots, you know, re- recovering from behind players. So. I think if, you know, between the two, Kawhi can also do a lot of that stuff. Mm -hmm. But Paul, especially the last two seasons, has just been at a different level. Uh, So I think while you, you know, on on ball is a little bit tougher. I think they're both pretty similar on ball. Um, Off the ball, I think Paul has been the better off ball defender the last couple of years. Kawhi's actually slipped a little bit defensively 
Uh, if you look at some of his numbers, you watch the film. He's not the same guy he used to be. But what that means is he went from probably the best defender in the league, you know, a two-time defensive player of the year, to one of like the ten best defenders. So it's not like a major slippage. He just isn't the like no-brainer elite number one choice he used to be. Uh, but with that said, on the ball, he's still ridiculous, and you know, he, he's got a really strong base. He's got really, you know, we all know about his legendarily uh, large and, and quick hands. He's got really good hand-eye coordination. So he's just really good at one-on-one, like, you can't put the ball in front of me. You can't drive past me. He's going to body you up. And you saw that in the Eastern Conference Finals where the the big adjustment, you know, the Raptors lost the first two games. It looked like the, the Bucks were going to the finals. And the big adjustment that Toronto made was putting Kawhi Leonard on Giannis. And once he put, you know, once Nick Nurse put Kawhi Leonard on Giannis, that series flipped. Uh, Giannis was not the same player. And Kawhi really just ate him up and... You know, you you look at just the way he played against Kawhi, his stats against Kawhi. Kawhi defended him, uh, you know, the, the best of anybody last season. And, you know, but then at the same time, for what it's worth, like Kawhi also was seventh in steals, seventh in deflections per game. So it's not like he's a bad, you know, help defender. He's also a really good help defender. So I think the beauty of what the Clippers are doing with, with Paul and, and Kawhi is you can flip flop. Like you can put either one on the ball, either one off the ball. You know, a lot of teams have two really good perimeter threats. You know, if you're going through uh, Portland, Houston, Utah, uh, you know, even Denver to an extent, depending on how you feel about Gary Harris. Like there are multiple teams that have multiple perimeter guys that you're going to want to contain. So I think for the Clippers, it's just going to be finding, you know, in a matchup by matchup context basis, who's the better guy on this guy? Who's the better guy on this guy? But both of these guys can defend guards. They can defend wings. They can defend big men. Uh, they can switch. They can get around screens on and off the ball. Uh, they're both elite, you know, all defensive caliber guys, defensive player of the year caliber guys. And I, I just think, you know, kind of that exercise got me excited for the season of what we're going to see defensively because I, I was really impressed with a, a lot of the numbers and, and just watching these two defensively, it's going to be, uh, I think a treat to kind of see that on a nightly basis. And of course you add in Beverly and, and what he yeah. brings to the table. And then Shamit. Harkless. Did, yeah. Harkless. And then even Shamit did a great job on Steph and mm-hmm. clay in the playoffs last year. So you add in all those players and you have, you mentioned it in, in your clamp article in, in your clamp lineup that those five guys could just be nasty. I mean, that defense is going to be really good. And what's funny is you look at this opening lineup without possibly Paul George and it doesn't really stand out apart from, obviously, Kawhi. I mean, you have Beverly, you have Shamit. Who's going to be another player that's going to be thrown in there instead of PG? I don't know, but you have Kawhi and Zoo. And the lineup doesn't really scream one or two seed. But because their defense is so good and because that bench is so good and how important the bench is during the regular season, I think people will be surprised at how the names aren't huge, just like they weren't last year apart from Kawhi and PG. But they're still just so good on both ends of the floor. Yeah, and and, and I, I think that the the thing that people kind of overlook in this conversation is, you know, we can debate Kawhi or PG versus AD and LeBron and and Russ and Harden and um, you know, I guess Giannis and Middleton and 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 Bede and Simmons and on and on. Pick your favorite star duo. Uh, like for my money, I think they're the best or, or second best. Like you know, maybe AD and LeBron is better at its peak. We we got to see what type of um, you know, condi- not condition, but just sort of like, you know, how LeBron bounces back from, you know, he's, he's going to be 35 soon, uh, his first injury riddled season of his career. Like, 
you know, what's what's LeBron like at that 34, almost 35 stage of his career? Uh, you know, the, like the, the decline with those types of guys, you just never really know when it's going to happen. Uh, it, it kind of with stars always tends to happen sometime in the mid 30s. So, you know, I, I still expect LeBron to be an elite player, to be a top 10 guy. But is he the best guy? Is he is he, is he still a top three guy? Like, I, I don't know. So for my money, I, I would say the safest bet is probably Kawhi and PG. But you could definitely make a case for LeBron and AD. Uh, but that being said, I think the difference between the Clippers and other teams, whether it's the Bucks, the Sixers, the Lakers, the Rockets, the Nuggets, whoever, whoever you want to pick, I think the Clippers are legitimately two, three, four players deeper than those teams. And you know, if you look at this ten, projected 10-man rotation when healthy, I think that's easily the best 10-man rotation in the league. Uh, you know, they are. If you want to criticize one thing, it's like they could probably use another big another kind of bigger rim protector, like rebounder type. But outside of that, uh, which is probably like one of the weaknesses you would, you would take if you had one, um, like defensively, you know, one guy we didn't mention is Rodney Magruder. Rodney Magruder has been a defensive stopper in Miami uh, for, for the last few years. You know, he's coming off the bench and might only be playing like 12, 15 minutes a night. Um, you know, and then th- this team's got everything. It's, it's got shooting. It's got two elite offensive players and, and really a third if you want to throw Lou Williams in there. Uh, they got the best bench in the league, uh, the best two-bench player kind of combination in the league. Um, you're going to have Jermichael Green or Landry Shamit coming off the bench, which is just ridiculous. You have Mo Harkless, who's been a starter for the Blazers for the last three years, You know, a team that's made a Western Conference Finals run as your like ninth man potentially. Um, you know, maybe he cracks a starting lineup as the fifth guy, but you know, I kind of see him more in that eighth or ninth man role. And that's just ridiculous to me. Like if you look at every other, like the Lakers don't have the same depth. Uh, I, I don't, you know, I think the bucks got lost some depth. Uh, the Sixers definitely don't have, you know, they barely have like six players. Uh, the, you know, the, the nuggets are deeper, the jazz are deeper, but I also don't think they have that same top end talent as the Clippers. Uh, the rockets, I don't see the, the Harden Westbrook thing kind of fitting together. So for me, I'm just looking at it. I'm like, this is clearly, you know, not only do they probably have the, the best star duo in the league, they have the best depth in the league. I think they have the best overall roster in the league. And like, it's just to me, like they're clearly the best team. I don't think they're like warriors level gap between everyone else, but to me, like, I don't really think you can make a case for any other team in the league being better. Yeah, I think that it'll be beneficial during the regular season because it'll allow them to rest PG and Kawhi um, at different points, and they'll really be fine because this team won 48 games last year without those two guys. Clearly, the way that they're being coached by Doc Rivers and just the talent on this team, they're ready to rock and roll. Um, and clearly, I want to take a couple steps back. You know your basketball. I mean, there's no doubt about it. You love the game of basketball. Um, if you, if anyone follows you on Twitter, it's at Jovan Buha, right? Yeah. Okay. So if anyone follows you on Twitter, they they know how smart you are when it comes to the game. When did you really fall in love with the game? Because I know you were writing for the Clipper blog in 2011, 2012. But when did you fall in love with the game? And why did you decide to cover the Clippers? Uh, well, I, I fell in love with the game when I was eight. Um, you know, it was one of those things where I feel like growing up, uh, you, you kind of like I, I never really clicked with a sport. You know, I played soccer uh, because my, my dad's from Serbia and, you know, soccer is really big over there. Um, I did some karate. Um, my, my parents never let me play football. Hmm. I was never really into baseball. So, like, I just didn't really have like a sport or like a thing. 
And, you know, basketball had just never really interested me. But one of my friends was a really big basketball fan and he got me into it and I just kind of fell in love. And like, I just, I'm, you know, I kind of tend to have a obsessive personality. I don't have like a lot of interests, but the interests I do have, I'm, I'm very like all in obsessive about. So that's how it just went with basketball where, um, you know, I, I fell in love with the game. Uh, I just became obsessed with it, you know, uh, collecting basketball cards and, um, you know, playing video games and, and watching the, the Clippers and the Lakers every time, you know, every night. And, uh, you know, just, just kind of on and on and on, like just became obsessed with the game, trying to learn as much about it. Um, you know, reading the LA times, uh, you know, just, I, I was consuming as much basketball as I could. And what I didn't know in, until like kind of looking back, uh, it was like a year or two ago was that I kind of had already like this mindset of, you know, analyzing the game and breaking it down and stuff. Like I, I found, uh, back home, like I had book, like book packets of me, you know, writing down statistics of like, I used to play basketball outside in my backyard, like by myself and, and kind of like simulate games where like, you know, I'd always be the offensive team. So it'd be, uh, like, you know, uh, the Spurs versus the Pistons or whatever. And, you know, I'm the Spurs and I'm the Pistons and I'm kind of playing against myself and like taking stats and, and breaking it down and, and sort of like, so I, I've always kind of had a part of that in me. Uh, I just wasn't sure really what I wanted to do, but then going to my senior year of, of high school, uh, one of my friends was in the journalism, uh, class and was writing for the school paper. And he just kind of suggested like, Hey, like, why don't you try, writing you know i was a pretty good writer and i just never really loved it because it was always like a book report or, or something like that so it didn't really get me going but he was like you know why don't you just try writing about you know write about basketball right write about something for the school paper so i did that my senior year and i just fell in love with it and you know uh i wrote about uh, like the that was the height of the the kobe lebron debate so I, I was team lebron and wrote about why lebron was better and just kind of that stuff like researching that stuff looking up stats um, just kind of thinking about it in a different way really uh, excited me and, and it just, you know, I developed a passion for it. So similarly, I just kind of became obsessed with that and that's what I went to USC for. I was a print and digital journalism major, sports media studies minor, and, and then just really kind of took off from there where going into my sophomore year, uh, I got the gig with Clipper blog. And, you know, for me, like I, I, I mean, I think the, the Clippers, it was just like a natural fit where, they had, you know, at that time, that was before they got Chris. It was right before they got Chris, like a few months. And, you know, Blake, DJ, Eric Gordon, like it was a very exciting team. And it just kind of, you know, almost, it almost kind of mirrored me to an extent of like, you know, I'm just kind of starting out. I, I'm trying to rise up the ranks of like sports media. And here's this like young, exciting team. Uh, and it, it's going to be fun to kind of cover them, grow with them. But then they traded for Chris Paul and, and everything kind of shifted and it actually ended up being really good for me because then all of a sudden uh, ESPN Los Angeles had this you know big need for content and coverage. And, you know, they, they had Arash Markazi as the Clippers beat reporter, but they needed even more stuff. And they started uh, actually like outsourcing and, and freelancing uh, some stuff to Clipper blog people uh, like myself, Charlie Widows, who, who now is in, in charge of Clippers Digital, uh, Jordan Heimer, DJ Foster. And we started freelance writing for ESPN LA, and that really started my relationships with ESPN, which I kind of took 
you know, and ran with that and then started freelancing for them kind of on my own separate from, from Clipper blog and, uh, eventually got hired later, uh, in 2016 at ESPN for a couple of years. So, um, yeah, I mean like that, that, that's kind of like the, the spark notes version of my story, but, um, I, I've just always been obsessed with basketball. Love, you know, I love the game. Uh, I think it's the best game. And, uh, you know, I, I just kind of eat, breathe and, and live it since I, since I was eight and now I'm 26. So it's been 18 years going and, um, you know, hoping for another 18 years and, and beyond. And you can play the game too. If uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I think my favorite article you've ever written was when you went to try out for the G League team. Uh, I thought that was tremendous. I mean, that experience must have been just something you'll never forget. Yeah, no that that was that was awesome. Um, you know, that, that's that's probably the most referenced article uh, I, I've written, and uh, that that was that was cool. Like it, and it was cool, and, and that's why I, I give the the credit to the athletic because that was actually an idea. I'd had earlier at ESPN and because I wasn't for, for my two years there, um, like before I got to ESPN for basically five years, four and a half, five years, I was a freelance writer for them. So I was, I kind of became the backup to, uh, at the time, Arash Markazi for, for the Clippers and Dave McMenamin for the Lakers of like, you know, they, they missed the game or they missed the practice, you know, it's a Saturday morning practice. They don't want to go or that, you know, they were just on a road trip. Like, they would send me to that practice. And, and that's kind of how I got some of my reps. But when I got to the athletic, that was one of the first things I pitched and they were really cool with it. They were just like, all right, like, you know, uh, the, the Clippers waived the fee so I didn't have to pay. And, it, you know, the Clippers were on board with it. And um, so I did it. it. It got, you know, at that time, it was my biggest story in terms of, uh, you know, reads and, and subscriptions brought in. And, uh, you know, again, like to this day, it's still the story that, you know, when people, I tell people I write for the athletic or what I do, like if they've read it, you know, they'll reference it. And, uh, th that's really cool. And it's something that, um, you know, I'll, I'll kind of always remember because it, it was, it was really cool to try out. It, it was a hard tryout. You know, I tried to depict that in my story and, uh, you know, I, I consider myself an above average, like pickup player, but above average pickup player doesn't, uh, you know, it doesn't necessarily translate to G League level. So that that was a nice like dose of reality. Yeah. And it's cool that you're able to kind of get an idea of what these players are like and how good they are. Because um, some people are like, ah, oh, this team, none of these guys are actually going to do anything. But some of them actually do end up contributing. So it, it did give a nice idea of what it's like to uh, to be at a G League practice and just try out for a G League team. Um, now I want to go back to this year's team. Everyone's obviously talking about PG and Kawhi and what this team and the, is going to do, the expectations around it. Um, I'm curious to get your take on this team and where you think this team will finish in the regular season and where you think this team will finish at the end of the season. Uh, I have them right now as my three seed. I think that, and, and I'm, I, you know, I'm, I'm actually closer to. Well, it's tough. It's tough. I, I think three seed is, is probably like the median outcome. Yeah. I mean, I think they clearly have the the like if you told me Paul's going to be healthy by the season opener, he's going to play in the season opener and, you know, very little restrictions. Uh, Kawhi is only going to rest like five to ten games. I'd pick them to be the one seed. I think they win 60 games and they probably have the best record in the league. But I'm a little more conservative with with my kind of approach on that where I do think Paul is going to miss at least the first week or two of the season, but it could stretch to 
three, four, five weeks. Uh, I think that he's going to also have his own kind of load management program once he's back where, uh, you know, similar to Kawhi last season, if it's like a, uh, you know, a tough back to back or just a tough pocket of the schedule where it's like three games in, in four days or, you know, just, just, so, you know, five games in, in seven or eight days. Like it, I just don't see him, you know, playing the rest of the season necessarily without resting some. And, and then you have Kawhi who, we don't really know how many games he's going to rest yet, but my educated guess would probably be somewhere in the like eight to 15 range. And that's a pretty big range. But if it's closer to 15 than eight, uh, I think the Clippers are actually going to feel that in their win loss record. Because if you just look at the team, like it's basically the same team as last season, uh, or at least like the post trade uh post trade deadline team uh, minus Danilo Gallinari and Shea Gilgis Alexander. And if you don't have Paul George or Kawhi at the same time, like that is a worse team because it's basically last year's team minus Shea and Gallo, which those were two of the best, I don't know, four or five players on the team. Mm -hmm. So, you know, losing those two would really hurt the team. So I I do think that there's a, you know, I'm really interested to see how long Paul's out and how Kawhi kind of approaches the resting during that period. Because, um, you know, one thing that was crazy last season that, uh, I, I saw was he only played uh, Kawhi being uh, who I'm talking about. He only played more than five consecutive games in a row uh, twice all season. So Kawhi really was like, you know, it, it was a play three or four games, rest, play three or four games, rest. And he did that 22 times all season. So I don't think it's going to be at that level uh, because he, it's not the same kind of recovery process for him. But if he misses 10, 12, 15 games, I'm not as confident that the Clippers are going to be like, you know, 12 and three if he misses like 15 games. I think it's going to be like eight and seven, nine and six, maybe 10 and five. But I, I, I think they're going to be a little bit worse than Toronto was, uh, b- both because they're in the West and because of I, I just think Toronto kind of had a, a better top infrastructure, I guess I would say, um, with with Siakam and, and Lowry and, and Marcus Sol after they traded for him. And like, I just felt like. I mean, and we'll see, but 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 if, if Kawhi and Paul George are out, I'm skeptical of how good this team is going to be, obviously, which, you know, most teams, you take away their two best players, like, they're going to be a lot worse. So, in the regular season, I would say three. I, I think their range is one to five. I think on the, the downside is, like, Kawhi rests a lot still. Paul misses the first, like, month, month and a half of the season, and they don't get off to the best start, and they end up being, like, the five seed. I think the best case is, like I just laid out, the one seed. As far as expectations, I think the low end for them has to be Western Conference Finals. Like I, I don't see any reason why they shouldn't get there, unless maybe they face the Lakers in the second round and the Lakers beat them. But if they're on the opposite end of the bracket as the Lakers, like they have to at least make the Western Conference Finals. But my expectation is for them to win the championship. I think, like I said earlier, like looking at the 10-man rotation, I think it's the best 10-man rotation in basketball. I think they're still going to try to find another big man that could help kind of be that fourth big and, and shore up uh, the, the rotation. And if they can find that, whether that's Joakim Noah, whether it's someone on the buyout market, whether they trade for someone, like I, I think at that point they're, they're just definitely the no-brainer favorites and, and no one's really close. Yeah, that would be amazing. As someone that's followed this team since 2000 and has seen the dark days of Mike Dunleavy and just the bad teams that have really come and gone at the Staples Center. It'd be great to uh, get a title. You mentioned possibly adding someone else to this roster. There's been a lot of talk about Iguodala, and frankly, I don't get it because I don't think it makes a lot of sense with the fit of the team. 
You mentioned Noah as a possibility. Where do you think the team goes and how viable is it that they actually do add someone else? I think at this point, it's been so long that I'm leaning towards, I, I don't think they're going to sign another person. I, I think they probably enter the season with 14. Um, like, you know, Joakim Noah has been practicing in LA most of the summer. Uh, you know, they saw what he did last season. They, they, I'm sure have had access to his workouts if they've wanted. They brought him in for a workout. I'm just like, what What else do you got to see from the guy to make your decision of if you want to bring him in? Like, I think on paper, he really fits with, with what they're doing. He, he is that kind of hustle, blue-collar, uh, energetic, tough-minded player. Uh, at the same time, you know, this is the same guy who, who said, uh, you know, a few months ago that the New York City lifestyle really ate him up. And being in a big city, even though he was coming from Chicago, which is, you know, what I guess what the third biggest city in the country, like going to New York um, and just kind of the parties and the nightlife and all that stuff uh, really affected his work ethic, his play, his body, all that stuff. So going to L.A., which is, you know, basically the sort of equivalent of New York on the West Coast, like I don't know how that affects him. But at the same time, you know, he, he was someone who kind of lost his place in the league, lost his stature. Um, so I, I think he, it does seem like he's hungry to kind of get that back. So if it was up to me, I would have, I would bring him in. I would have him on the roster. I think he should have been on the roster over Patrick Patterson. I, I don't really get the Patrick Patterson fit, uh, or need, um, especially with how bad he was last season and kind of him already dwindling the year before. But I, I think I'm leaning at this point towards them entering with 14. I think if they sign a 15th, it's probably Noah or another center, uh, but I do think at some point they're going to like they're they're going to test it out. Where I think people overreacted to how bad Zubats played against the Warriors. Like better centers than Zubats have been played off the floor against the Warriors. Like no, he did not look good and he did not play well and he deserved to be benched and, and not really play in that series. But it's the Warriors we're talking about. You know they're no longer the same threat that they were. Though I think people are underrating how good they are. Um, but besides that, it's like. Like Zubats is going to be fine against most centers. He's a pretty good rim protector if you look at his statistics. And I think they're fine with him playing 20, 22 minutes a night. Then the rest of the time you're going with Trez or you're going with Jermichael at the five. And I think I think really the concern is like foul trouble and injuries. And, you know, we've seen it from Trez where uh, I just wrote about this today in my mailbag. Like he's always in foul trouble. You know, last season – uh, almost 42% of the games, he had four more fouls, which is a you know really high numbers. So, you know, Trez is always battling foul trouble. Uh, Zoo, it seems like they really want him in that like 18 to 22 minute a night role. And, and then you have Jamichael who can play the five, but you probably don't want him playing the five in, in large doses only because he's about like six foot eight. And uh, you're, you're giving up some size there similar to Trez, but he doesn't, you know, Jamichael doesn't bring the same offensive gifts that, that Trez does outside of spacing. So, I think they probably are another big short uh, in certain matchups, like maybe the Lakers. You, you might want another center, but um, you know the, the league. I, there's not really a lot of like imposing front courts. Like the, you know, teams have an individual really good center, but um, you're not really seeing like a twin towers type thing where that that might affect the Clippers. So I, I, th- I do think they're going to probably enter the season with 14, but um, I think the the kind of position to look at is, is center. Iguodala, like, sure, I think in the playoffs he'd be nice to have. I don't think he's going to help much in the regular season. I'd actually probably rather have Harkless and Magruder in the regular season over Iguodala. I do think in the playoffs we've seen him increase, you know, for whatever reason, he shoots better in the playoffs. 
He just plays better defense in the playoffs. Like he steps it up. We now have the sample size of like the last two or three years. He's been dramatically better in the playoffs on the regular season. So I do got, I, I guess I kind of see some merit in that. Like he's a championship, you know, former finals MVP, like guys care about that stuff as much as we on the outside don't really, we're like, all right, he's washed up. He's what? 34, 35. Like, you know, he doesn't have much left. Like, I'm sure Kawhi and PG are, are behind the scenes pushing for that. They want Iguodala in there. So I, I just don't see what how they're going to get him. If Memphis doesn't buy him out, the Clippers don't really have anything to trade. Like unless they just trade Jerome Robinson straight up for him, which the salary doesn't even work. Like I don't really see what what's going to – like how he's going to get there. So, um, you know, like, like Harkless and Robinson I think would work under the cap. But do you really want to give up Harkless for Iguodala and hurt yourself in the regular season? Like I, I wouldn't do that. So – I think, you know, I don't – if he gets bought out, I think he's going to probably go to the Clippers. But otherwise, like, I, I just don't see how it happens over trade. Yeah, it seems like the possibility is that they, like you said, they stick with the 14. And then the buyout market, they try and get a big if they don't get Noah. Because I think if you get a guy, let's say, like Cantor, like he ended up going to Portland last year, someone like that, because it would be nice to get somebody extra to go against the ADs, to go against the Embiid's and those types of guys – um, because like you said, I mean, if you look at the West, apart from the Lakers, there's really not that double twin towers. Like you said, I mean, you have Gobert obviously with Utah, you have Jokic with Denver, but not anybody else that really scares you, um, two guys on one team. So it'll be interesting for sure. I'll leave you with this last question before the mailbag, you wrote about Brian Seaman becoming the new voice of the Clippers. You had a really good Q and a with him. What was your biggest takeaway from that conversation? Because this is a very big change for the Clippers with Ralph having been at the helm for so long. That's a good question. My my biggest takeaway, I think, is, I mean, which I already kind of knew, but like talking to him in depth more about it, um, was just kind of how humble Brian is and how I, I think there's no way he doesn't succeed in, in this job. Like, um, you know, just t- hearing him talk about his excitement for it, um, him him being patient, him really coming at it with the approach. Because, like, I, I think you know, it it, it was interesting uh, fr- from an outsider's perspective that it it took so long for them to make this announcement, for them to finalize all this. Like, you know, Ralph has been retired for basically five months, and it it took them all summer, all off season really, you know, less than two weeks before the season to make the official announcement. We had kind of heard, you know, for the last couple of months that it was going to be Brian or, you know, he, he was the leading candidate. Uh, they were probably going to hire Noah Eagle. And, you know, we weren't really sure what other pieces would be involved. But I, I think, you know, from his end of things, like the, the perspective he had of, you know, just work hard and be a good person. You know, he, he said that in, in the Q&A, like, that to me just kind of shows the, the type of guy he is that um, I think some people might have gotten a little frustrated, a little impatient with the process of why is this taking so long? Why are you guys not picking me? Like he he didn't have any of that. And I, I just think his perspective, his eagerness, his excitement um, is just what's going to make him excel and, and really be one of the best play by play guys in the league because, you know, this is something he's wanted uh, since he was a little kid. And, you know, this is something that he left Minnesota to come to the Clippers to eventually, you know, replace Ralph. Uh, he he was in that radio role for 12 years. 
And there were no guarantees that he was going to replace Ralph. And, you know, I, I, it was clear from what was reported and what was out there, like the team was looking at other options and, and looking at, um, you know, other candidates to potentially fill that role. So, you know, it wasn't like he was a shoe in It wasn't like he was the clear, you know, might have been the, the number one candidate, but, um, you know, they definitely did their due diligence with other people. So I think for him to just kind of, you know, not be salty or bitter about that. And, and just to look at the bright side, look at the positive side that they picked him, uh, how excited he is, like all that stuff really, you know, I don't know if you, you could tell that from the Q and a, but mm-hmm. definitely from speaking to him, uh, that was like the tone and, and that was kind of the the perspective that he came with. So, uh, just from that, like, you know, and, and how hard he works, um, you know, I, I know he, he, I always see him, uh, before games going over his notes and, and just how extensive they are. And, um, you know, the, the stats and, and data he brings that I think is still something that's hasn't gone fully mainstream. Uh, but, but he is trying to push that of, you know, advanced analytics and all that stuff. So I, I'm, I'm really excited, you know, obviously I don't hear him as much because I'm, you know, usually at the games and, and not watching the TV broadcast, but, um, from, from what I've heard of him on radio, and and just from knowing him, like I'm really excited for him, and and think he's he's going to crush this because um, he's one of the hardest workers in the business, and I think he deserves this. Yeah, he's one of the nicest people in the business. As someone that reached out to Brian my senior year of college because I wanted to try and shadow a local broadcaster since I wanted to get into the NBA play-by-play, um, and he reached out right away and said, "Just come and follow whenever you want, I and mean, you can shadow me." He let me give let me give him. Uh, my stuff and there really is no better guy in the business and he's a really good story for anyone that doesn't know it brian almost quit the broadcasting uh area arena as most people do um and he got that break and now he's turning into becoming the voice of the clippers so it's well deserved for him no doubt about that uh before we say goodbye where can we find you what do you have to promote you can find me on twitter and instagram at yovan buha uh, you know, sh- you reach out to me, uh, at me, and I will try to respond as best as I can and, uh, promote, I guess the, the mailbag, uh, the Q and a with, with Brian Seaman, uh, those would be the last two things I put out. Uh, but check out the athletic subscribe. You can subscribe, uh, for one week for free. And if you don't like it, you could easily unsubscribe, but I think you will like it. I think you will continue to subscribe. Uh, for the price of basically a, a cup of coffee at Starbucks uh, at this point. So, you know, three, four bucks a month. Um, I, I think, you know, we're continuing to expand. Uh, we're, we're really putting out, I think, great content like outside of, um, you know, not not to pump my own stuff up, but like everyone else's stuff, I, I think is just worth the subscription alone. So if you're listening to this, if you're a Clippers fan, I, I think you should check us out. And uh, I think you won't be disappointed. I agree. And hopefully uh, we can have you on several times throughout the season. I think we really need to talk about your love of shoes and fashion at some point um, in the next couple of months, because you are a guy that know your shoes and you know your fashion. You had a great article um, with one of the Clippers players last season about their shoe collection. So um, until next time, we appreciate you coming on on the Hoopball Clippers podcast. Thanks for having me on, man. I appreciate it. All right, hope you enjoyed that conversation with Jovan. He is a smart dude, and he knows his hoops. There's no doubt about that. He knows his Clippers. I really do suggest, if you do not subscribe to The Athletic, go ahead and at least try it out. Read Jovan's stuff. Read all the other stuff on the website. He does a really good job, um, a really nice guy, and he was gracious enough to give us about 40 minutes as well. Don't forget, you can follow me at BD Marcus. You can follow the podcast at Hoopball Clips. 
You can follow us also at Hoopball Fantasy. So until next time, hope you enjoyed this one, and we will talk to you on the other end. Have a good one, everybody. This has been a Hoopball presentation.